Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, February 3rd. You would have thought I would have remembered that since I just said it three times in the last 10 minutes. This is uh, this is our fourth restart of the show, and if I sound a little funny, because I'm actually doing the show from my phone right now, uh, and I think we can make this work for some reason. Um, we couldn't get the soundboard to cooperate this morning. I'm going to blame it on the Chinese spy balloon. I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Uh, they sent that thing over here to hack me because I was talking bad about them the other day. Um, so we'll, we'll see if we can actually make this thing work. Uh, Joel, I think I can hear you back there. Is this uh, Is this thing working? It's working on my end, if you can hear me. I can. There we go. Holy cow. And I see some awesome. calls. In, so uh, I think we might be able to make this work. I might sound like I'm uh, I'm in the bathroom at the TA, but I'm really not. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really just on my phone. I, I, did, I didn't really need that visual this morning, but we'll, we'll roll with it. <laughs> oh, man. So what's with the Chinese spy balloon? Why didn't we just shoot the damn thing down? Well, it kind of makes you think, a spy balloon. How high-tech is that, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, come on, man, they're sending balloons over here. <laughs> I'm, that makes me wonder about all their supposed high-tech uh, military equipment when they're sending over spy balloons. I think we stopped that in, what, the 1920s? I, yeah, I was going to say, how, how many people did they have to send to Publix to get them all filled with helium? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I, man. I don't know about that—a spy balloon. So, I, Jesus, I wonder if the guys at NORAD, when they picked that up on radar, were kind of giggling to themselves. I can't, I can't. I just, wow, a spy balloon. All right, well, we'll you go know, with that, I guess. The, the whole balloon thing, though, there might be something to this because I don't know if they've done it or not anywhere in the world, but. Google for a long time had been talking about using balloons to create uh, internet networks. Ah, gotcha. gotcha. So I guess there must be some new technology in balloons, like some really high tech stuff that they're doing with them. So like Google, instead of, you know, Elon Musk if he, to get internet puts up satellites, Google was saying they could put up balloons. Wow. Well, I, I guess we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a balloon expert. It just struck me kind of funny when I heard that. It, well, like, really? A spy balloon? It does sound kind of funny. Um, does uh-huh. it come with clowns? <laughs> there you go. What if I had little ribbons off it or what? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. I don't know why I'm laughing oh. about them. They hacked me this morning. Uh, that's right. See, that spy balloon's working. It is. It is. They took out my uh-huh. phone system. Absolutely. Well, maybe I should get my 308, my best scope out, see if I can find them. <laughs> yeah, put a, put a bullet through it. I just, a spy balloon, it just, uh, hmm, wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess so, we'll see uh, what kind of information they gathered with their balloon here shortly. I, I'm assuming we could capture it or shoot it down or do whatever it is we're going to do with it, right? We could absolutely shoot it down. I'm just wondering why we haven't. 
That's the crazy well, that's, part. Well, that's my that's, thought. Come on. I, and wait a minute. From what I gather, it's still hard to get good information on this, but from what I gather, we've spotted it in Montana. How did it get there? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they launched Not it from like one it's... of those farms they bought out there. Yeah, it's yeah, maybe that is how it happened. It's not <laughs> That's like what I'm thinking. Supersonic speed, and we just missed it coming across the border. Yeah, they went to a car dealer. They got one of those big inflatable balloons that are dancing in the wind, and they put a little longer line on it. And they're just feeding it out over the military base to see what they can see. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the whole thing just seems a little odd. I know. You know, before we get too wrapped up in this, we better just bring John. And uh, I'm pretty sure this line's probably Henry. We might as well just start talking over each other right away. Why waste any time? So, John, good morning. Sure. Why bother, hey, right? That's you. Good, good morning. Good morning. I, I knew nothing of the Chinese spy balloon. I, I guess I've been detached from news for a few days. Yeah, well. Actually, I've been detached from reality for the whole month. I've been, I've, I have I got home on Tuesday, and I left the on, on the 2nd. So it's been quite a month for me. Well, you know, everybody in the news is speculating why it's here and what it's doing, and I think we just solved it. They flew it over here to hack my show this morning. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to appreciate the simplicity of the spy balloon. I mean, who would suspect it, right? That, that might be. It might be. It might be more brilliant than you think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe well, I, I don't know. Hiding in plain sight. Hiding well, in plain sight, precisely. Out on the spy balloon is. You know, they said if they shoot it down, it could damage something. I'm like, well, you know, can't you put a smaller hole in the balloon so it didn't just drop? If, so. if that's our excuse, we can't shoot it down because it might damage something, we've got to do a little better than that. <laughs> it's Montana. There's not much to hit. You can't tell me we don't have some guys in a room somewhere operating some drones up there just messing with it, right? They should just be like well, just, just, just like just like egging it on with drones exactly. flying around I, it, I, looking I, at it, taking pictures of it, I, you know. I'm not not <laughs> sure they use drones. They probably use open air biplanes to intercept. Them. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, part of the problem is it's above airspace, so not every plane could get up to where it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, hey, above, but, oh, it's above. It's hey, above. It's above our flying airspace. So see, there it is. So there's the brilliance. It can be between airplanes and satellites. It's closer than a satellite, and it's higher than an airplane. Like, yeah, that 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 might well, make that's sense. Not, huh. That's Google was going to deploy internet was by balloons like that. But John, I got I've got to rein you in. A, you, a minute ago, you said egg them on. Eggs are the next topic for the morning. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> oh man, you know price fixing and everything else around eggs lately. That that's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Damn big eggs. You know. So, eggs are good. But, <laughs> big egg. Yep. Yeah. I'll jump to eggs. Joel Salatin wrote a blog yesterday, <laughs> and he said something that makes total sense, like he normally does. So the first problem with the eggs is we have this avian flu running around so they're killing a bunch of birds because they get infected but here's what he said that they're doing let's say you've got a, a house a hen house the hundred thousand hens in it and you know 95,000 of them become infected with this bird flu which is what's happening so they kill the 95,000 they're also forcing the farmer to kill the other 5,000 
And they're saying it's because, well, if we don't kill everything, it might keep spreading. Well, even if you kill everything, it might keep spreading. This is this isn't only chickens. This disease can live in all kinds of other animals. So just like we tried to get to zero COVID, you can't because this thing keeps just keeps jumping species. So Joel Salatin made a really good point. He said those five thousand birds probably have natural immunity. They're alive. They right. didn't get this. Yes. They're in a hen house with 100,000 hens, and they're still healthy. Why would you kill them? That should be the stock to create the next generation. So much for survival of the fittest, right? Exactly. Right. That's yeah, okay. what it <laughs> These were Kevin, the That Darwin guy was right. You know, he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kevin, I used to work in the chicken business. And and I remember when the avian flus hit before, and part of the thing is they got a chicken now that it grows so quick in six, eight weeks, it's it's grown. So when when they do these kill-offs, when this stuff happens, it's not that long till they replenish the whole stock. And that that was the interesting part about it. I didn't work in the chicken business with the farms, but I was at the other end where we processed them. And it really didn't make as big of a dent as it sounds like from, you know, like the news. They put the figures that get you the most excited. That When they wipe out 5,000 chickens in six weeks, they have 25,000 to replace them. Now, I, I realize we can replace them, but we're replacing them with weak stock again or mixed stock at the very least. If you've identified these 5,000 birds are really healthy and they survived this, why would you kill them? Yeah, that's that that in itself's a good question, but it, and is it is it possible that because we've created these Franken birds that can grow Dolly Parton breast in six weeks, maybe that makes <laughs> them more susceptible to this stuff? Hey. <laughs> I know they blame it all this morning out of heaven. Hey, yep. hey. I know they my, my positive thought for the morning. There's a bunch of truck drivers <laughs> right now really glad that John's back. His laugh. Is oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad to be back. That's right. <laughs> all right. So, oh, here's something else about the whole chicken and the eggs thing. So, you know, the avian flu comes around. We're just going to wipe out all the chickens. We're not going to try to, you know, keep the strong stock going. One of the biggest chicken processing plants, like I think they said third largest or was the third largest company, um, that catches on fire. That, that's not suspicious <laughs> right now, right? Um, backyard chickens, for some reason, this is all over social media. The mainstream media hasn't picked up much on it yet. Their chickens just stopped laying eggs for some reason. And, you know, it's winter time in most of the country, so chickens do slow way down, but they never really stop. And all of a sudden, never, and even people that are in warmer parts of the country were reporting that their chickens had stopped laying eggs completely. And it turns out that the majority of people with backyard chickens get their feed from like tractor supply. I think it might've been 
uh, specific mix of feed and tractor supplies all over the country. So it's the most popular feed. Turns out as soon as people would switch away from that feed, their chickens would start laying again. And I'll bet well, you that feed came from China. Now, of course. Now, <laughs> let's throw one more thing in. They just, just came out with a pretty big research paper. There is something in egg yolks. They've, they've documented it now. There's something in egg yolks that helps block the SARS virus. <laughs> I know. So the Chinese they, are selling us bad chicken feed to kill off our, <laughs> our chickens so we can't eat eggs. <laughs> we, wow. We, <laughs> they really think about this, don't they? <laughs> we can and then our, they send well, weather balloons over to spy to see if it's working. Exactly. <laughs> we can all take off our tinfoil hats now. We've solved it. <laughs> so a, a buddy well, of mine has hey. a, has a still. We've got a we've got a still at my buddy's house. Well, it's his actually, but we'll go over there and, and make whiskey once in a while and and drink it as it comes out. And the best mash that that they've made, or his sister actually makes the mash. Usually, she experiments with different stuff, but it's uh she makes it from sweet feed from uh, from Tractor Supply. So there's another use for that. You could use it, use it for making your whiskey. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And you'll stop. Oh, you like, brought up tractor supply feed and see how my mind goes. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the stuff that, uh, <laughs> that they use for the past. Just I love it. <laughs> you'll stop laying eggs. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey and eggs so, in the morning. All right. So, all right. So, oh. I the Chinese spy balloon and the chicken conspiracy to the table. What's everybody else got? <laughs> no, no, I well, don't John have near as much of any conspiracy. I'm, I'm here live on the floor at the uh, Midwest Trucking Association show, and there hasn't been anything like that happen here. <laughs> well, well the, uh, we don't want the Chinese hacking the show, right? They could be, but I have not seen evidence of it yet. Is that the? Uh, is that where the new super truck two is? No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. No, this there must is be another Midwest show Trucking going on. Association, their annual show every year. There, this there, time. There's a, a show in Florida that I hadn't heard of before that I think is this weekend. It kept popping yeah, up on all my stuff while I was in Florida. Maybe that's I've had friends out. send that to me. They told me that that's warmer than here. I started out this morning. It was three. Three degrees. Yeah, yeah. Easier yeah, to count. That. Yeah, that's a little cold. <laughs> yeah, that's cold, all right. That's cold. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, it's inside at the Civic Center, so. Yeah, so, no, one of my, uh, one of my topics this morning was the uh, – the super truck, the Freightliner Super Truck 2. Did anybody look at that? I was looking at two. Yeah. I, and I keep, you know, nothing, I keep trying to talk them into let me borrow one for a month, but it hasn't happened. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, we were talking about yesterday, we were talking about um, – uh, shut. I don't know if it was yesterday. It might have been Tuesday. We were talking about shutters on the uh, intake, on the grill. Mm. We were mostly talking about it for cold weather, you know, instead of mm -hmm. getting out, putting on a cold front, you know, even 
remember when it used to be pretty common, you had the, the vinyl snap on and the center, you could open it up, you know, the, the warmer it got. We started talking about, you know, shutters that would open and close based on the ECM and temperatures. Um, I don't see any of that. They are doing like the um, the active trailer gap and lowering the truck a couple inches uh, for aerodynamics, but I didn't see anything on the they, shutters. They did the shutters on Super Truck 1, Kevin. Oh, did they? I don't remember that. Yeah, it had shutters. Well, when it was parked with them open, it didn't look like it had them, but that, that grill closed. Got it. All right, so they're using the uh, the DD-13 for this one. And, uh, yeah, a different version of the 13. Yeah, well, it's got a two-stage turbo interstage cooling. It's actually got a low-temp and high-temp cooling system. Uh, they really didn't talk about any gearing that I can find yet on this. There were a couple other things that were interesting. What does this mean? I'm not sure if I'm reading this right. Adaptive axles that shift from 6x4 to 6x2 to help extend tire life and reduce rolling resistance, and a tag axle that can be deployed to assist in load handling. What does that mean? So, Am I reading so, that right? So, Kevin, hmm. yeah, Kevin, imagine a four-wheel drive back with the old lockout hub days. Yeah. So imagine it with automatic lockout hubs, which they came out with later. It's When, when it needs traction, it's a 6x4. When it doesn't, it's a 6x2. And nothing is turning? Right. Because if you were still turning all the components, what would be the advantage? No, so, no, no, you're not. Like would, the old would have to lock drive, them to work. With, without the old four, like the old four-wheel drives, when it unlocked, it's unlocked and nothing's turning. That's how right. it is. Okay. okay. So it declutches completely. Or, or if there's an inner axle diff, it would have to actually lock all that stuff and not let it turn to transfer the power to the, and, to the axle that's still on the ground. So basically, it's like Joel's truck, but with an axle that can be driven when it's down. Yeah. With adaptive loading and such, right? So, yeah. Which is right. interesting. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So they've, they've taken a driven axle and move it up and down and get it off the ground and, and, and uh, stop the rotation of everything inside of it, either by declutching it somehow Those, or locking it in place. Th yeah. That type of system is fairly, well, I don't want to say common in Europe, but it's been available in Europe for several years now. Um, you typically see it with the, um, in Europe anyway, you typically see it with the guys that are, you know, doing aggregates, you know, more vocational type stuff where they have a long run to on highway and then get off road. That's where you typically Got see it. it. It's okay. It's relatively heavily. It's fairly expensive. That's what um, I it does work. Yeah, there's no question. But in an on highway application, Probably just a straight up six by two if you've got everything set up right. It, it's, it's, well, I, I was going to be a little you more because, efficient. Yeah, you've mm -hmm. had the experience running the six by two, and from everything we've talked about, you don't see a problem with traction or getting right. out of places. And no. it seems like this is a very expensive, complicated fix for something that most of the time isn't a problem. Well, I, I, don't, I, would, I would, that, would agree. Oh, oh. Yeah, but except for the fact that it's a whole easier sell, there are a lot of guys out there that aren't going to buy a truck with both axles driven. So that, that's it's true. Not driven. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I mean, it's there from from, from a marketing yeah. standpoint, yeah. whatever, it's a complete home run because yeah. you could have the best of both worlds as far as 
the the end user is concerned, right? I could have all yeah. my axles on the ground and all my all my wheels driving. Uh, whereas you know, with the with yours, yeah, even though it's not a problem, Joel, and I agree with you, but uh, it's still from a marketing and sales standpoint. It uh, to me, it's uh, hey, makes a ton of sense. Hey, John, you're right. You have to figure out who they really market to, which are fleets, and just like you know, they managed to get around the nine speed, thirteen speed by creating a convertible, so you could sell it to the fleets and say, look, buy it as a nine speed, convert it. It increases the resale value. I, I bet they're making the exact same sales pitch to the fleets with this. Absolutely, yeah. Yep, that's why That's why it makes sense. That's absolutely correct on that. And it gets people over that heartburn that they're, they're worried about something that, as me and Joel have discovered using them, it's not really a problem. But in, yeah. in people's mind, it's a problem. It becomes a problem. Absolutely. So I've, yeah, perception is reality. I've, yeah spent the last 5,000 miles running a little triangle, um, Denver to Eugene, Walla Walla, back down to Denver. And I've had 25 stops in there. And, of course, when you get up in the elevation, the weather's been crappy. It's And I'm running a 6 by 2 I've been over just about every pass you could you could name, uh, Berthoud, Cabbage, Snoqualmie, um soldier uh there's three four more i've been over um six by two is just not a problem period nowadays when when it's set up right and uh unfortunately you know 99 percent of the people aren't going to buy it because the the reputation was poisoned several years ago when when we just thought hey let's take a six by four and and <laughs> you know pull a drive shaft out of it and and it yeah. just kind of screwed everything up but uh yeah yeah is is what it is at this point, and so we're, we're getting these, you know, highly engineered solutions that are going to be very expensive. But apparently, there's going to be a market for. So, looks like it. Yeah, you know, one so of the, the other the other thing that, I wanted to bring up on the on the super truck, Kevin. Yeah. Because I always get hit with it. Me and Joel hit the kind of numbers that they talk about with the super truck, right? Oh, but we don't run the duty cycle that it runs. So when they do that, it's a Department of Energy test, where and the stuff they got to do with that truck is far beyond what we normally do. Well, and you know, you know like that's eight a good... hours of staying in town and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. So their test is m much different than our duty cycle because I remember when Super Truck One released its results, my phone started blowing up from the media. They're like, "Well, they didn't hit much better numbers than you do," and I'm like. Yes, but I don't do what they did. <laughs> so once again, you know, car you know, carrying a little bit of water for any of the super trucks, whether you know it's the Navistar, Volvo, Packard, or the the uh, Freightliner version, they the duty cycle that that test is done on is is pretty tough. I mean, I think as I remember it, there's eight hours of it that are in city running. Well, you know what they they should do. I like the fact that they test lots of different scenarios, but give us a real world. I don't know many over-the-road trucks that ever spend eight hours in the city, so why would we test them like that? Give us a test of a typical Class 8 over-the-road van operation, and they're not spending eight hours in the city. So, you know, break it down into segments if you want, but well, – don't give us an average that nobody understands because you didn't tell us that's what the duty cycle was. Right. And part of it is I remember 
on the first one when it came out, if you dug into it and read further into the stories and kept reading on it and kept researching it, you could find that stuff. And it, it was some pretty phenomenally high numbers when they were pure highway. Huh. Okay. I just got a message saying that our app isn't working. The live app itself isn't working. We're going to keep going because I'm getting a recording on my end. We get a recording through the phone system, so we'll still end up with the show. I'm just not sure if we're streaming live or not. Um, Something else that I I wanted to touch on that I noticed about this, this, this super truck program, especially this time. When I look at the things they're talking about testing, they've got uh, they've got a technology now that actually shuts the engine off during coast mode. You know, we have the transmissions that mm-hmm. would go into coast mode. Now they're actually going to turn off the engine during that time as well. Uh, we look at this technology to, you know, change the height of the tractor uh, at, at highway speeds for better aerodynamics. When we look at some of the techno, oh, a, another one. They've got a dual electrical system on this, uh, 12 volt for the truck and 48 volt for the hotel loads. When I look at all, it, and it's uh, electric power steering instead of pump driven. When I look at all these technologies that they tested this time, really all of them are out of reach for us. We really couldn't have tested any of this stuff. Oh, for Maybe us, the, yeah. But, you know, so, so, some of this stuff's around. Like electric power steering's been around on cars for a while now. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not around, but think about how hard it would be for us to test something like that, and there's not enough gain for us to even mess with. So on this one, they are really down to, you know, we're down to really tweaking now. And Kevin, part of part of the deal on this when they go into Super Truck, I remember on Super Truck One, and I got to spend some time with those guys. We were at Louisville, and we were actually walking around talking to owner operators, and they were shocked how many things we were doing on our own. But it gives them the opportunity to test things that, and find out if they would be viable. I mean, I still remember the one that sticks out in my mind on the first one. They were doing heat recovery off of what heat the shocks generated is something they tested it ended up not being viable but without that kind of funding you would never test some of these things because it's too far out there i I agree here with with henry and one of the things that i really am um uh kind of excited for on these super truck um demonstrations and and i wish we would have been doing this a lot earlier this is probably one of the things where when the government throwing some money at, at uh, the OEMs, I'm kind of okay with because, you know, we kind of got our tit in a ringer with emission systems very early on. And if we would have had these super truck programs, you know, several years in advance running these types of emission systems, figuring this stuff out before it hit the marketplace, understanding the real viability and, and what you have to do, um, to make it work, we probably wouldn't have went through a lot of the bullshit that we went through on emission systems. So I think this stuff is, look, we're looking at it in terms of fuel efficiency. I don't even care what the fuel efficiency numbers are. What I care about is that they're taking these new technologies, they're actually working with them out on the road, and they're trying to figure the shit out before it makes it into um, 
you know, before it gets in our hands. So we don't have to pay to learn how to how to fix it and and have to do uh, on the fly engineering to make this stuff work. So I, I think that's why these programs are important. I know we like to kick them around a little bit on their fuel mileage numbers because sometimes they don't seem all that impressive. And, you know, to Henry's point, we don't really know what the duty cycle exactly is probably in most instances. But I think the important part of it is is that they're, they're putting their hands on technology that we're probably going to see four or five years down the road, and they're trying to figure out how to make it work right in the real world before it's released. You know, I, I and going I agree back to that, that in the, in the, going into uh, real world, echoing what Joel just said, a lot of the testing that the factories do, I don't get around Volvo stuff, but I get around Freightliner stuff. They don't often drive them like me or Joel would, where we're trying to feather them and get everything we can out of them. They're pretty well hammered down, and because that's how most drivers from a fleet, when they get in them, they're that's how they're going to drive them. And I don't have a pretty much. I, I don't have a problem that's the with way the it's testing. Done. I, I'm pretty consistent. I don't have a problem with the testing. I have a problem with whose money gets used to do the testing. You know, at least in this case, we might benefit from it because this is something we're interested in doing. But I, I've got another. <laughs> I've got another example of well, it here that makes me a little crazy. There's a there's a bill right now in I think it's in the house. It's actually got some bipartisan support, and they're calling for tax credits for truck drivers specifically. But then they actually and, and I why are we thinking about a tax credit for a truck driver? What? Why? What? Like seventy five hundred dollars for anybody who logged nineteen hundred hours of on duty time, and their income has to be below something. Why? Why are we subsidizing truck drivers all of a sudden? And then this is what makes it worse for me. If you're a brand new truck driver, the tax credit is even bigger. Wait a minute. Why aren't we supporting the drivers who have been in the industry for 40 years? This is like, and this pisses people off. This is like the phone companies who give all the killer deals to get you as a new customer once they have got the new customer, customer all yep. through you. So, yeah, so, I agree. So it's kind of like, why, why do they pay farmers not to farm? Exactly. This kind of stuff <laughs> just makes me crazy. I'm going to go back to the solar. I I really want to start experimenting with solar panels at the house. You know, how much power could I realistically generate from solar panels? Not what they tell us, but what happens in the real world. You know, the problem right now, because of the tax credits, the federal tax credit, both Oregon and Washington, because I could do, I could test this in either state. I have property in either state I could put this on. They both have such big tax credits that I can't find a legitimate solar company that I trust anymore. Everybody I call, they all sound like scam artists because all they ever want to talk about is the tax credit. Nobody wants to talk about their product. I, no, I want to know about your solar panel. I want to know about <laughs> yours. Well, well, why do you care? It's free. We're going to – they have destroyed the solar panel industry with all these DM tax credits. Wow. Yeah, that's sad, really. I it mean, is. they don't even care about the product. They're just buying it as cheap as they can, and they know the government right. is supposed to get the credit. So. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You go, yeah. You go so, so they're all crap. You, Yep, when you go look for reviews, 
they are some of the worst reviews of a product I have ever seen. Everybody is bitching. It didn't come anywhere near producing as much power as they told me it would. It hardly has taken any money off my bill, and yet I owe $70,000 for this system. Wow. Yeah, you got to do your homework on that that kind of stuff for sure. Um, and I think you're right. When you get you get things like this, like huge tax credits, it probably it probably clouds a lot of things because people get hyper focused on one aspect of it and they're not looking at the overall picture. And like anything else, when you don't take a holistic approach, and we see this when we spec trucks, you know, we spec a few things right, we get other things wrong, and then people are bitching. My truck doesn't get the fuel mileage your truck gets. Same thing with solar, I'm sure. If you yeah. don't get that entire system right, it's not going to perform to your expectation. Everybody's going to bitch, and so you get hyper-focused on that damn uh, tax credit, like people get hyper-focused on the price of the truck, the initial cost, and then the problems start. So, yeah, I I, I get it. Yeah, it, it it just makes me crazy that we keep taking good, viable technologies and screwing them up like this. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I love it, right too. I, having it on my truck, I absolutely love it. You know, people think about solar when it's really hot, like to run the air conditioner and stuff. But I, I got to tell you, you know, even through this these cold snaps, I've been shutting my truck off at night, you know, down around zero degrees, two, three, four degrees, whatever the temperature is. And, you know, I, I have confidence it's going to start because the, the solar really helps to maintain the uh, the optimal charge in the batteries. And this trip especially, um, because I was weather delayed several times, and then I got into a situation where a couple of my customers were closed, and within a 175-mile span, I had to, I'd done two 48-hour kind of resets downtime because I had a customer closed and the way the timing worked out. And I'm still under 1% idle time, and my batteries will still start the truck down to zero degrees like they're brand new. And uh, so uh, solar is great. It's a shame to see that, you know, people are screwing it up just through these stupid tax credits and want to put cheap inferior product on the market you know something else i hate about this whole kind of movement is that they just lie to us i forgot about this i had this article waiting here it says um and and we're talking about this article goes all the way back to the first round of emissions back in 04 so here's the title environmental group that gives you a clue says no evidence of truck pre-buys Come on. Stop lying <laughs> sure. to her. Sure. <laughs> sure. Oh, really? Oh, my. That never happens. Of course no. not. No, except, except I have a personal experience. I remember it. I ordered my yeah, green yeah. truck. This was the time when I thought I knew everything about fuel mileage. And I specced what I thought at the time was the absolute perfect truck from the factory to get the best fuel mileage possible. And because of the pre-buys, I ended up getting my slot bumped out over and over and over and did not get the engine and transmission I was supposed to get. That's kind of major. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Come on, Kevin. Hell, that doesn't nine, matter. 13. Yeah. Who cares? Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's a truck. It moves. It's a truck. Yeah. <laughs> not only did I not get the, the number of gears I wanted, I didn't even get the manufacturer I wanted. I got that damn Meritor that nobody supported because they couldn't sell it here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was all they. That, well, that you, was all they you had. See where you over. rank on their importance list, right? Well, exactly. Hey, <laughs> hey no, that Rutherford character ordered a truck. Let's give him this, you know. <laughs> there, there were so many pre buys. There, there were so many buys. When it came to build my truck, they're wandering around in the factory, going, "We got to find a transmission for this guy." Somebody kicks one over hey. in the corner. Hey, look at this thing. It might fit. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> it fits. It fits. Ship it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Give me, give me some funny. longer bolts. I think I can make this one work. It never happened, though. Right. No <laughs> Never pre-buy. did. Never happened. <laughs> oh, so shit. On a different subject, Kevin, being we go all over the place, next to me at the show, where I'm at, there's a 1971 white Western Star with an 8V71 in it, day cab. Woo-hoo. But what Woo-hoo. I find what I find really interesting about this truck, it keeps whoever built this truck initially was one of these people like myself, Joel, or your, your, mm-hmm. yourself that paid attention to detail, and it looks like they were very weight conscious. It's got aluminum frame, aluminum cross members, aluminum steering box, yep. which I've never seen. Kenworth like and, that. And, and an aluminum walking beam suspension under it that looks like it would sh- sh- rattle every filling you got out of it. But the amount of <laughs> aluminum that is on this truck and the amount uh-huh. of detail that it looks like somebody spent trying to lightweight this truck, I would love to know what this thing weighs. It's got to be light. But, yeah, we had you know, a Kenworth like, like that. We've, we've lost our hey. way a little bit on that. When you look at the old truck ads, you know, when you hear these people talk about the good old days, you read some of the old ads, it's like they built a truck to haul as much freight as it could and then afterwards found a place to stuff the driver. And today we're comfortable. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, oh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, bumper to back a cab, they were, they were, you know, with length limits and everything else. We've gotten a little bit sloppy with that. Since they've done away with the length limits, that oh, it's, you, yeah. you never would have saw a 72-inch sleeper back in I, the day pulling a tanker. Well, well hey, and, and not, only, not, not only that, just just I, I I want to pull my hair out a lot of times. So we get these guys that they follow that the work that like I do or Henry does, and they go out to the dealer and they spec a truck, and. Then they'll, they'll get online or they'll message me and they'll go, oh, this is bullshit. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm only getting seven and a half miles a gallon. I said, send me a picture of your truck hooked up to your trailer. And there's a 67-inch gap between the truck. Everything else was right except for this huge honking gap, and they're running 65 or 75 mile an hour. What do you expect? I mean, you you missed a part here. <laughs> this is important. You've got to be able to shrink that down. So, yeah, Wow. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> but, yeah, on the weight side of things, it seems as though we've lost our way. I mean, Joel, you've been around long enough. Kevin, you've been around long enough. You never saw a big sleeper truck pulling an end dump because they were worried about getting more pounds in that trailer. Now everything's about the driver being – we're driving around, you know, half an apartment, and <laughs> – 
not not able to that, haul the weight because there you that's are. That's true. A lot of this is driven by market forces, though. You know, the the bigger fleets are buying trucks to retain drivers, which means bigger sleepers with more options. They go into the secondary market. A lot of these vocational places, they're not buying new equipment. They're buying new stuff from the fleets to pull these end dumps and stuff around a lot of times, and, and I think that's why we end up seeing it. Um, the other thing is, too, talking about the lightweighting part of it and the, the all the aluminum like I said, we had a Kenworth like that, and unfortunately, aluminum fatigues. <laughs> so these aluminum frames and aluminum suspensions and stuff, you don't see them anymore. You don't see them for a reason. And the amount of fuel that you were saving or the amount of extra payload that you were getting, um, when you look at the durability over time, especially when you go to resale that, because you know people learned real quick, I'm not touching a truck with an aluminum frame or aluminum suspension, the resale goes to hell on them and, and they're just not, uh, they're not viable in the marketplace for the most part. You have a very specialized duty cycle, you wanna get something extremely lightweight because you're gonna make your money back in a couple of years on it, I get it, but that's just not the majority of duty cycles. So we're, we're seeing what we see, but uh, I hear what you're saying, Henry. We never used to see tankers or dump trailers with these big, huge sleepers and pretty commonplace to see that now. You know, I, I, I've i got an idea. What, if if what, we want to lightweight more. Why didn't we ever get more, the aluminum frame figured out, though? If, if we want to lightweight more, think about how far our brake systems have come since you you and I and, and you know, we started mm-hmm. back when we oh, didn't have yeah. front brakes. Now we could put all disc brakes on the trailer. We could put disc brakes on the drive axles on the tractor. Let's just go back to getting rid of those front brakes. There you go. Yeah. Kevin, if you fly. did that, you'd be better off. You, no, I think you'd be better off doing all, away with the brakes on the rear axle of the truck because <laughs> they found out that rear axle does most of the stopping. But you know, it's just you know when we talk about the aluminum frames, right? The flatbed industry. I got a friend of mine that has thirty-year-old flatbeds that have done nothing but haul shingles and wallboard most of their yeah. life, you know, and you know what it comes down good. to These are, there's, there's just not enough good paying freight that goes by weight. There's just not enough. It's just an economics thing there. It, aluminum is expensive. Uh, all light weighting of everything is really costly. And in the general freight world at that, that savings is just meaningless. So it was only these really specialized, and like you said, they seem to have gotten lazy about it. So the manufacturers just stopped offering this stuff because nobody was really buying it. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna try something. I don't, I don't know if we're on the air or not. We haven't figured it out. I don't think we are, uh, but we're getting a good recording. And we ended up with a couple calls, so I want to bring them in and see. I'm not sure if anybody's hearing us anywhere or not. We're gonna get started in West Virginia. Randy, can you hear us? Hey, Kevin. Uh, I called you when you was on the Power Hour one time, and I drive a company truck, and I was going to fix it to work to run real good, and they they would keep it. Well, you told me not to do too much because they had a cycle, and that cycle hit me yesterday. Uh, The clutch went out in my truck, and they told me they wasn't spending a penny on it, put me in an old Red Mac told me they're going to give me a brand new Freightliner with all the bells and whistles to take my wonderful Volvo away from me. 
Well, well, sorry you're losing your Volvo, but I'm glad they're going to take care of you, and I'm glad you didn't spend any money. Well, I I bought two gallons of uh, from Pittsburgh Power. I still got a gallon of it, but I use it in my pickup at Milambo. Yeah, that's not too big. You was right, and just let me tell you something. I love that Volvo. I've never, ever drove a truck in my life that was as nice as that Volvo, and it made me cry when he took it away from me, I'll tell you that. I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, no. really. I really did. I, I, then I, my boss was telling me that, and I said, I got to go. So I got my truck, and I had to go pick up a trailer, and I'm driving down the road crying, and, and, I, and I said to myself, I said, what the hell is wrong with you? You're 75 years old. You're gonna cry over a truck? That's crazy. Oh, but Jesus. now, now I'm gonna get a Freightliner. It looks like, and uh, of course, it's gonna be 30 days from it. But I want to tell Joe if if he gets some trucks and needs a driver to run from Ohio to Charlotte, go through Beckley, West Virginia, once or twice a week, I'm his man. Uh huh. Uh, all righty, I'll keep that in mind for sure. Hey, yeah, hey, Randy. Randy I, yeah, I, I, I've got a question. Are you? Can you listen to the show right now anywhere? How did you know to call? I called in because I couldn't listen to it. Got it. Oh. Okay, I was wondering. Tuesdays, that... Tuesdays and Fridays, I don't want to miss. Got it. Okay, because we we knew we had some sort of a technology problem, and we just figured. Um, with the five of us, is there five of us? Four of us? With the four of us, we could do a show without callers anyway. So I figured we'd just do the show and record it. And I was wondering how, we've got two other callers on the line. I'm just wondering how we're even getting callers. Well, I just called it to let them know there's something wrong. You know, I thought maybe y'all wouldn't have it today, but uh, I'm glad I did call. And, And I'll tell you this, when you play it again, I'll listen to it the next time because it's very, very interesting. Well, thank I just, you. I just love you guys. I mean, all of you, Joel. and, and Hey, Henry, I, I'm thinking about starting wearing a tie. Oh, that's good. <laughs> there you go. I really am. Hey, well, I'm thinking hey, about that. Hey, hey, here's, I got it, I got it figured out. I want you to wear the tie on the first day you get that Freightliner. I'll do it. Take a picture and send it to you. I'll right. do it. That's right. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. There you go. I, okay, I really appreciate y'all. I really do. I, I, I so enjoy this. Well, good talking to you. Thanks for calling. All right. Yep. All right. So uh, I think we're just going to – we'll keep grabbing uh, – uh, you know, Morgan, go ahead and screen the calls that are in there. We, we've got a couple calls – um, let's okay. go ahead and screen this. Uh, okay. Um, let me ask Morgan. Maybe they don't. Oh, they just want to listen. They're just sitting there listening <laughs> because we're not live. <laughs> they can only listen on the radio. Yeah. Back to the old days. Wasn't that the original? Wasn't that how he had to do it in the early days of the show? That was. 
And I can actually open – we only normally open up 10 phone lines because you can't manage many many more than 10 anyway. But I could could open it up to 250 if we could let people know, and then they could just call in and sit and listen. And that is the way we used to do it. But, uh, I mean, we've already blown through the first hour anyway, so we might as well just uh, keep doing what we're doing. uh, Hey, I I just – just sent you guys all a link to a video. When you when you get a chance, jump on it and check it out. It'll it'll take you to uh, Dropbox, and you don't have to have Dropbox downloaded. You can just go to their website and you can watch this video. And this is a video where I was running up cabbage, and there's 67,000 pounds in the in the trailer. And I have all this OBD information overlaid, and I, I know Kevin and John will geek out on this. Henry will get a kick out of it, too. So I've got six different places where I'm looking at exhaust temperatures and, you know, I'm measuring boost and all the things that we look at. And uh, I want to have the discussion on the newer engines. I, I know we keep saying that drive-by the boost gauge, and I, I want to throw a scenario out there and then let you guys kind of comment on it and see what your thoughts are. I know what my thoughts are on driving by the boost gauge, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, um, but uh, when you have a truck where we have multiple gears that are available at highway speed, the idea of driving by the boost gauge changes because you have to put boost in relationship to piston speed. So piston speed, the faster your piston speed, the more drag you have. Absolutely. So to lay this to lay this out, so in my truck with the two one six overdrive, at sixty mile an hour I can run at eight hundred RPM, I can run at a thousand and fifty RPM, or I can run at fourteen hundred RPM. All at the same speed. And when you have a a set requirement for horsepower on the flat what you see is that at 800 rpm i'm running 17 pounds of boost but i'm making the same horsepower that when i'm running 1400 rpm and i'm only making six pounds of boost i have less boost at 1400 rpm but i have way more drag and remember we're only stroking the engine, you know, almost half as many times. So it requires more fuel per stroke. And, you know, John's a turbo guy. He he understands when we're putting more fuel in that cylinder, we've got to have more boost to burn that completely. But we have way less more drag air. over a, a given distance. So you people that have been watching my fuel efficiency numbers, they're like, oh, how in the hell is this guy doing this? This is bullshit. It's crazy. No. <laughs> When you look at it, I'm running a whole lot of boost most of the time, but at a a very low piston speed, so we're eliminating that drag. And and so you become more efficient. I completely agree factors. The reason we haven't talked about this more, or we really haven't talked about it much at all, is because we really didn't have many tractors on the road that could pick between multiple gears at cruise speed. This this is true, but when we say this and we get drivers that get into new trucks and they start applying that to the new truck, I've got a guy oh, that I'm working yeah. with who was driving his truck around in 11th gear because his boost was I, lower than it was in overdrive. I, I agree. We have- <laughs> 
No, I agree. If, <laughs> that, if we start building it, it, trucks, it becomes like problematic. Saying, yes. Yeah, like you're saying, if you have a truck that has three gears that can run at operate at highway speeds, yeah, we have to think about this completely differently. It, absolutely, so boost becomes your friend at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. In all seriousness, guys, since the computers took over how much boost the truck makes, that's a, that, that's kind of been a moot point. I mean, the driving by the boost gauge thing. I mean, even since the early computer-controlled uh, waste gates, it's really you, you, you can't use it like you did once with a with a you know a, a fixed turbo or a uh, the old mechanical engine. Obviously, it made sense then, right. but now it doesn't. No sense whatsoever. And, and it, yeah. it starts to work against you. Yes. Go ahead, Henry. I, I want. I want to thank you because you're going to make my head explode. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a truck show on a podcast going on and off mute. And you want me to look at a video yet? you got to be able to multitask, Henry. <laughs> Whatever you get a chance, my friend. Whatever you get a chance. But the, no, the, the big thing is, and, and here's where this really gets funky in the cold weather. And, you know, I've been running out here Pacific Northwest and into Colorado for the last, like I said, four or five thousand miles the temperature's been cold it's a dead of winter i'm averaging over 10 miles a gallon and, and i have pulled some weight here as well i'm not 80,000 pounds but about 67,000 pounds on my my last run from walla walla down here to aspen and uh, so definitely going up and over some hills but what we're finding out is you know not only does that boost start to work in your advantage at low rpm if your truck is geared to do that, but we're also holding an incredible amount of heat in the engine and the exhaust system. So the cold temperatures, they don't nearly have the impact that um, they used to have. It's still impacted because you're pushing through dense air, but when we can hold a lot of heat in the engine, that helps to reduce, you know, a lot of the drag from the lubricants and just plain being cold in the engine and so our mechanical drag uh, drops significantly as well. So there's a whole lot of advantages beyond just, um, you know, just the piston speed in terms of fuel efficiency. Um, it, it really seems to help across the board. And, you know, just a few years back, I would have been happy as hell to get 10 miles a gallon running around here in July. And, you know, now yeah. I'm doing it right right in the dead of winter. And um, if I would be running it, you know, with the traditional uh, thinking saying, hey, keep the boost down, you know, I'd be running up around 1,400 RPM, and I would have all of the problems we traditionally see, hard to hold heat in the engine, hard to hold heat in the emission system, a whole lot of parasitic drag because we have that high piston speed, uh, emission problems. It, it's just one problem after another when you when you start to run that higher RPM. So with the new trucks, and, and I, I'm going to stress with the newer trucks, you really need to keep that in mind that driving by the boost gauge may not be your friend and it may actually work against you in certain circumstances. So you have to be very careful with that. I know we say it a lot on the show and it does apply to older trucks where you only have one gear available that boosts pretty much linear it's a linear match to the fueling rate and everything else so you can pretty much say just be light on the throttle is is to say drive by the boost gauge you're saying the same thing essentially but when uh, you get a truck like henry's or a truck like mine that stuff that just does not apply yeah. and it can it can kick you right in the ass in terms of 
fuel efficiency. You bought this beautiful downsped truck and you're applying an old thought process in terms of the boost gauge and, and uh, really messing things up. I agree with you 100% on that, Joel. The, and the one thing, you know, you talked about the cold, dense air. But, you know, now I knew I was coming up here and didn't want to get annoyed by my tire monitor the whole time. But I wish we had a load-based tire inflation system on the trucks. Because if I'm only going into the zero-degree temperature for a day, I'm not re-airing all my temperatures in the morning at zero for that day. So our tires actually go up in rolling resistance when it's cold, too, because they're mm -hmm. generally on the lower side of our tolerance for tire pressure as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So just I just thought everybody should keep that in mind. I, I know we say it a lot, and it does apply to a lot of trucks that are still on the road today. Um, you know, and a lot of trucks that have traditional gearing, even if they're new, you can kind of say that. Uh, I think John's right with the computer taking control of most of this stuff. It may be just better to say be light on the throttle um, and let the computer do its work and, and uh, uh, feather the throttle a little bit more. But uh, we, we have to be careful when we tell guys in downsped powertrains, especially when they're aggressively downsped, to tell them to drive by the boost gauge because it's. Uh, it's it's probably not a good thing. Probably the better advice, Joel, that I use in that case, and and every truck just about has it now, is where you have the the mileage, the instant part of your fuel mileage, where you have the bar graph of some sort usually mm -hmm. going across your dash. Drive according to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just like just and, like you know, gauge, except for it's different. <laughs> Right. The thing that I've done is I've, I've mapped that with my little OBD maps and you, you put in, you know, boost and you put in, you know, the, the fuel rate or whatnot. And they mirror each other. And when you're in a truck that only has that one gear up there, I don't care if it's boost, if it's the instantaneous gauge, it, it all essentially mirrors each other. So there's not, you know, if you want to look at the boost gauge, that's just fine in a truck like that. You want to look at the instantaneous is probably a much better option on the on the newer trucks to to pay attention to, and it's probably why a lot of the newer trucks don't even have a boost gauge. Computers taking care of business, it kind of becomes irrelevant, really. Well, we went from everybody talking over each other to nobody talking at all. Um, <laughs> a rough. Um, I, I, I haven't been totally paying attention because I was trying to figure out the technology over here. I'm hoping we have some sort of a recording because um, it was good stuff. Yep. But uh, since I'm not positive that we have a recording, uh, I'll ask one time to see if anybody has anything they want to wrap up with. But I think we'll probably just end this for today. Well, Joel, um, yeah. Go ahead. What I'm going to do at the show, Navistar has their new truck and new motor here. So uh -huh. I'm going to check go over her, and check her out. I'm going to uh, check I'm that out. Yeah. a little bit. Take lots yeah. of pictures. My, my brother's supposed to be getting one of those to put into the fleet to, to run one. Um, it's a ways out, though, because they are in high demand. There is no doubt it's going to be six months before we can even get our hands on one. But, uh, I'll definitely let people know when we get when my brother gets one in the fleet and he starts running it, how it compares, what his thoughts are, you know, what what how things work. I I think it's going to be a winner for him, 
Um, and that's a good thing. It just gives everybody more options. Um, it's definitely going to be head and shoulders, I think, above anything that they've ever put out in the past. I think it's going to be really good. It, it, it's an incredible time to be in trucking right now because, as I keep telling people, there isn't a bad truck right now. I, I well, agree. No, they're just different. They're just different, yeah. Well, yeah, some are some are trying to be bad. I think some some of them aren't, aren't that good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, yeah. you can order you can so, you can order any of them wrong. I'm saying premium right, right, yeah. any of them. If you put them <laughs> the right. Yeah, there's there's always going to be a bad truck. Yeah, but I mean if you yeah. if you go through and you pick out what you want to be the right thing and get it right, yeah, you can get it close. Now. Yep. Don't yeah, Don't yeah, get yeah it, it, our products. I think if you spec them correctly, they'll be all right. You, you, Still you think optimize they're specs, yeah, for whatever brand you're working on. Um, I I, uh, I think you're going to get a decent truck. I, I'm with John. I think, you know, uh, Volvo Freightliner and now Navistar, if you're looking for a downsped powertrain, they're where it's at. The, the, the base design is correct. If you're looking for something a little more traditional, you're stuck with Packard and Cummins. Um, well, I shouldn't say stock. I mean, if, if that's what you're into and that's what you want to do, it's probably a pretty good option. You're not going to be happy with with the Volvo, the Navistar, or the uh, or the uh, Freightliner if you're going to put a, a 355 rear end gear and an 18-speed manual in it. It's just, you know, <laughs> you're not going to be happy probably. So, um, yeah, that's what uh, you're looking to do. And, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff out there on both ends of the spectrum right now. Hey, so there gonna, is a new yeah. – uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to stay out of this segment, uh, you know, because I haven't received any death threats from ISX owners in a while, and I kind of want to keep Well, ch ch check out the video that I, I sent you guys, and pay attention to that RPM when I'm going up cabbage. And it'd be interesting to get the, you know, the ISX perspective on that because, you know, we're rolling up that at 1,200 RPM where the engine's really working at 1,200. And and uh, it's, you know, on the lower end of, of what, what you would climb that hill in a Cummins for sure. Joel, here's what will really tell me what I need to know about that trip up cabbage. Did you have to slow down for the corners? Uh, no, I did not. Actually, I had to break break a little bit. Um, you know, it's 45 on those corners, and I was into them at 52, 53 most of the time. Yeah. Um, I, I could have run it a little harder, but I, I chose not to. Um, I think I probably averaged, and, and you can watch the whole thing up, but probably averaged just over 45 mile an hour going up the hill. It was past just about everybody going up. It wasn't super heavy, though. It was 67,000 pounds gross, so... But that's um, that's okay. still that's that's still pretty impressive. It's enough. It, it's enough to to give it a test. I called three guys that I know that run cabbage on a regular basis. I don't, so I said, "Hey, sixty-seven thousand pounds up the hill at forty-five mile an hour," and they all said the same thing. That's 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 hauling the mail. So I was like, that's "Okay, moving, I, yeah. I can live with that." Yep, I can yeah. live with that. Well, I'll tell you what. Before... Kevin's worried about death threats. And here I am with a Detroit at a show in Peoria, Illinois, home of <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just pay 
paint it yellow, disguise it. You you might have been in trouble ten years ago, but that that they've kind of become irrelevant, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. not one hundred percent, because at this show, their employees walk through here yet, so it's kind of fun. Oh, okay. Yeah, Joel. Just so you know, before uh-huh. before the tune and the work I did on my coach, if I had my trailer and the car with me. I did not have to slow down on the corners. I mean, it was everything I could do to get up the hill. With the tune now, I have, I've got to watch those corners. I've got to slow down. I mean, it, it was that much of a change. But prior to yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I was 38 to 40 trying to get up there is what about the best I could do. Sure. And I'll uh, I'll also send you on Route 11 coming down there. I think it was 11 South. They got some pretty good rolling hills. And uh, I'm coming up that two lane um, in 14th overdrive. And it's it's pulling right up those hills in overdrive at, you know, 750-ish, <laughs> 800 RPM with no problem at all. And it was pretty nice. pretty cool video. I'll send you guys that so you can take a look at it as well. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Hopefully we can pull a recording out of somewhere. I have multiple backups, so I'm hoping there's a recording somewhere of this because it was good stuff as usual. And uh, talk to our programming team so we can get away from all this hacked together technology we have right now and uh, get our own up and running. So thank you guys as always. Have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.